hope that's our goal to be living our lives in such a way that we'd be looking forward to what is in the future, that we would look forward to seeing our Savior face to face and to be in front of him and give an account for our lives and, and hear the words, uh, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, I hope that's something that we're all looking forward to, that we're all living our lives here day by day with that goal, with that aim in mind, that we would uh, look forward to that. We are continuing our study this morning in the book of Mark. We'll be in chapter 12 this morning, starting in verse 28. So tonight, for those of you who are paying attention, whether you are um, sports fans or not, tonight is Super Bowl 55. Uh, this Super Bowl, it has the Chiefs of Kansas City versus the Buccaneers of Tampa Bay. Tonight, we'll find out who is the best football club, at least of the 2021 season. But my question to you this morning, who is the greatest football team of all time. Chicago Bears, that was quick on the trigger. Wow, Chicago Bears. I can't hear what you guys are saying at home. But, so who is the greatest baseball team of all time? Ooh. St. Louis Cardinals. And, oh, I heard Yankees, wow. And the Cubs, of course, right? What about no socks? No, okay, fine. So what's the, if you're not a sports fan, that's, that's okay. What, what is the greatest movie of all time? I hear just a lot of mumbling. <laughs> the Avengers, yeah. Okay, greatest movie of all time. Um, what about the, the greatest basketball franchise of all time? You say the, the Bulls and Jordan. I grew up a Pistons fan. Uh, sorry. <laughs> and who is the greatest basketball player of all time, and why is it LeBron James? <laughs> or uh, who is the greatest president of all time? Wait, no, don't answer that. Just forget it. My bad. Time out. But it's fun asking these type of questions, isn't it? especially as we start to have conversations and talk about who our favorites are, um, especially in sports and, and movies, music, all these areas, uh, people get together and we'll talk about, well, this is my favorite and this is uh, bar none, the greatest song, movie, basketball, football, whatever have you. This is the greatest of all time. For some reason, we're just drawn to and intrigued by these questions and the thought process of weighing everything that goes into this. In today's text, one of the, the uh, scribes comes and he asks Jesus about what is the greatest commandment. Can you imagine these theologians sitting around talking about which of these commands is the greatest? Just as we got finished talking about our favorite sports teams and uh, songs and things of that nature. There's a, well, so what do you think the greatest commandment is? And the talking and conversing about which one merits or weighs more than the other. 
just as we would today. Can you just imagine those people sitting around talking about this? Let's dive in. In uh, the Gospel of Mark, we're going to start here in uh, chapter 12, verse 28. And here God's word reads, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all of your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and, and to love one's neighbor as, as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that, he answered wisely. He said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to answer him. No one dared to ask him any more questions. Let us pause in prayer at this time. Your Father God, as we open your scripture here this morning, uh, speak directly to our hearts and instruct us on how we ought to live out what it is that we're reading. Not so that we would have head knowledge, but that we would be, we'd go and be doers of the word instead of hearing only and deceiving ourselves. Father God, I just ask for you to give me the words to say and how to say them this morning, that you would hide me behind the cross so people might see more of you and less of me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. My Lord, my strength, and my Redeemer, in whom I trust. It's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. So here we are. If you remember from last week, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, of course, are trying to pin Jesus in a corner. They, are, um, they don't believe that the, the resurrection is a real thing, and they tried to put him in a corner and say, hey, this stuff, this resurrection stuff that you're talking about, it doesn't even make sense. And Jesus comes back and says, you, you guys don't, don't have any idea what you're talking about. You don't know scripture. As a matter of fact, you don't even know the power of God. And so here, this scribe is on the periphery and he's hearing this dispute that's taking place. And, and he's like, okay, I'm checking out this Jesus guy. Man, he, he's really smooth answering these questions and he's not backing down. These are learned people. They've been studying this stuff all their lives and they're coming to try to trap him. And you know what they say is pretty convincing, but man, Jesus is just handling it. And the scribe comes up and, and in verse 28, it says he came up to, after hearing the dispute with one another and seeing that he answered them well, he asked them this very important question. What commandment is the most important of all? So out of all the crowd, this scribe here is in attendance and, and differently than what we've seen before. So we've seen the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees that come up and they ask questions in order to test Jesus, in order to trap him. But this scribe, he comes with some sincerity to ask this important question. See, the scribes were, they were like religious lawyers. 
And after overhearing Jesus and how he handled it, I'm like, man, this, this guy, he could be a lawyer like, like me. He wanted to know which command was most important because you see there was 365 laws or commandments in the law of Moses. 248 of those commands are what we would consider positive. And at the time, the scribes and the Pharisees, they weighed these commandments in terms of which weighed more than the other, which was more important. And we get into this today, right? We talk about this sin and, and things of that nature. There's some sins that we think is more important than these sins over here. And if you do that, there's no turning back. If you do this, well, it's okay. But it's not actually. Look with me in verse 29. After the scribe asked the question, Jesus answers, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Here Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 5. And this is something that the Jews knew. They knew so well. This is something that they were reciting. Five says exactly this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. This is a very doctrinally sound passage that affirms the monotheistic or uh, one God view, uh, saying that the Lord is one. This is a definitive statement that our God is unified and he is unique in essence as well as existent God and there is no other. It's very clear from the Old Testament all the way through the New that the Bible affirms over and over again the uniqueness and the exclusivity of God, the exclusivity of the Bible. We live in a time where we, we want to affirm everyone. We, we, we are uh, kind of mishmash or wishy-washy on truth these days because we want to be accepting. It, it sounds accepting. We tend to reshape what the Bible says in order to make uh, the Bible more welcoming, welcoming or more palatable. But the reality is, if you really read the pages of Scripture, what you would find is that it is, in fact, very welcoming is in fact very uh, palatable in most cases. There's some things that are like, oh, I don't know about that. But it's still truth that is written in God's word. These days we want to be accommodating. Then we say things like, well, you know, God, he, he goes by various different names, but it's the same God. That's not what we read between the pages of his scripture. Or um, there's many ways to get to heaven. But again, that is not affirmed in the pages of scripture. Brothers and sisters, this cannot be further from the truth. If you call yourself a Christian, your basis for faith and knowledge must be grounded in his word. In between the pages of this very book, that is where our foundation must come from. And we might not understand it all. And frankly, we might not even like it all. 
but that has no bearing on what God says his truth is. And we cannot change it for any means. God says he is the way. He is the truth. And he says no one comes to the Father except through him. No one. I don't know how you misunderstand that. When they say, well, you don't have to believe in Jesus. That's just something that people say. You can believe in Allah or you can believe in Buddha. The word says, God's word says, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah himself says, no. There, no one comes to the Father except by now. Well, we can't let everybody believe what they want to believe, and that's their their truth, and this is my truth. You can't have multiple truths. Only one thing can be true, especially when they don't agree. You can't have multiple truths. This isn't an opinion. This is what the book says. And wouldn't it be cool, though, if, if there was many ways to God? I mean, it, for, for a human being, right, that's loving of one another, it feels like it would be a good thing if there were multiple ways. Like, you know, we can choose our own path in order to get to the same destination or a similar destination. It should be exciting that there is a way to God at all whatsoever, as we have become eternally separated from God, we should be jumping up and down that God made a way for us to be reconciled back to him and to be able to come back to him and to be able to be with him for forever and eternity. So instead of being eternally separated from God, uh, from the God of the universe, he made a way for us. That's what we should be excited about. It also identifies how people relate to God here in this passage. And it says we relate to God through love. And this is not the, the empty and meaningless love that we like to throw around, like my love for my favorite sweater. This is real meaningful love that emphasizes the, the necessity of our, our whole entire being. It says we you need know, to love with our, our whole heart that speaks of our affections and our emotions or love with our whole soul, which speaks to our spirit, love with our entire mind, which speaks to our in intelligence, love with our, our whole strength, which speaks to our will. In his commentary on this passage, Sinclair Ferguson puts it this way. God is never satisfied with anything less than the devotion of our whole life for the whole duration of our lives. Man, that's powerful. So he says again, God is never satisfied with anything less than our devotion of our whole lives for our whole duration of our lives. Not just the end part, not the, just the beginning, not the middle part. I mean, I did pretty good early on, but I kind of fell away and I, or I did really good. At the, no, the, your whole life, for the whole duration of your life, that is what God wants from us. We are to love God with all of our being 
everything that we have. It's one thing to claim you love God, but it's another thing to demonstrate it through everything that you say and do. That's why people don't like messing with church people. Church people, you guys are hypocrites. Well, I guess me, me too. As they look at our lives, people outside of this building, people that don't profess to be Christians or following Christ, they, they're looking and they're watching these, these so-called Christ followers. And even the little bit that they know about Christ, and like, man, I don't, man, that doesn't look like the Christ I heard about. Calling people out of their name and wanting to, to, to fight and talk about ki- killing other people because they don't do something or act a certain way. They're stealing from different things or they, 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 don't, they don't care about the, the fellow man. You go out to the restaurant, you know, Christians are uh, the worst tippers when you go to restaurants. How, how can that be? How can we as followers of Christ be some of the worst tippers? Uh, I, I've talked to a lot of uh, waiters and waitresses and they're like, we hate Sunday afternoons because they work hard and they come back to get, you know, coins on the, on the table. <laughs> These church people. Where is the love and how do we exhibit that love through any, any and everything that we do in our lives? The scribe says to him in verse 32, he says, you're right, teacher, as if <laughs> he's, he's just learning. He's just now, I'm, maybe he's just meeting Jesus and he doesn't fully understand who Jesus is at this point. Like, hey, yes, yes, teacher, you're right. Of course he's right. That's <laughs> neither here nor there. I just find that funny. He says, you have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your strength and all your, your love, one's, one's, and, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than the whole burnt offering. Notice here that the scribe, he asked Jesus for one commandment. I don't know if you caught that or not. He says, what is the most important of all? And, and Jesus goes through and he kind of explains and the scribe responds like, yeah, I get what you're saying, but um, how many things can be the most important? The New American Standard translate this as uh, foremost or the, the King James translates this as first. But how many things can be first? It's been a while since I've been out of school, but... Um, how many things can be foremost? How many things can be the greatest? And just a minute ago, when we talked about who is the greatest football team, I heard a lot of answers, but can all of those be the greatest? Or even a few of those, as a matter of fact. Well, according to Jesus, I have no idea what I'm talking about, just like the scribes. According to Jesus, yes, there could be two things that are the greatest when he gives this and what he does is he joins uh, two different things. He, we find in Leviticus 19 and 18, it says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And he pairs that with the passage in Deuteronomy that we just talked about a moment ago. He, he puts those two things together and say, hey, this is the greatest. Only Jesus could make up math. 
and do what he wants to do. James calls this in James chapter 2 the royal law. He says if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. You see, love for your neighbors is rooted in your love for God. Your love for God is the first commandment. And what Jesus is communicating is that for our love of our neighbors is, is actually linked to our love of God. So is, uh, the love of our neighbors is, is a byproduct of loving God. So they, they're interwoven, they're linked together. You, you, one can't come without the other. If you, if you hitch a trailer onto your, your car and you're driving, it's going to be right there behind it. You love God, you love your neighbor. Jesus connects this, this vertical love, this, this love of God to this horizontal love, the love of others, the love of people. It's necessary that these two things go together. So when you love God, you passionately pursue his glory with everything that you have, all of your total being. And when you love your neighbor, you compassionately and righteously seek his or her well-being as well. You see what Jesus is doing here? He, he's telling us we can't separate these, these two. You say, well, I, well, I got mine. I, you know, I'm, I'm saved. I follow Christ. And, you know, that's all personal to me and everybody else is to fend for themselves. I'm going to take care of mine and my family. You can't unlink those things. You can't hate or despise your neighbor while you still love or claim that you love God. Your neighbor comes over to borrow a cup of sugar. You're like, get, get out of here. When people do that. People borrow sugar. That must have been a thing back in the day. Romans 13 and 8 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Man, you wouldn't know that reading the paper, watching the news these days. The people who profess, profess to be Christians, I'm not sure that they're known by their love. The love of their neighbor. 1 John 4 and 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. He goes on in 19 through 20, it says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. That's not me saying that. It's... For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. I don't know how you misunderstand that either. How can you claim to love God who you have not seen 
Yeah, but hate your neighbor who you see all the time. And there's there's the story of like, well, who's my neighbor? Like, okay, well, yeah, sure, I'm supposed to love my neighbor, the guy that lives next door to me. Oh, we get along great. Who is my neighbor? And everybody that we come into contact with, everybody that we see is, is our neighbor. So the question is, are you exhibiting your love for God? Is it, does that uh, propel you to love your neighbor, to love the person that you're in contact with? The barista at, at Starbucks, the, the waiter or waitress, the person in their grocery store, the people in your own family. You see, how you respond to the first of loving God will determine how you respond with the second in loving your neighbor. When you obey the second, it shows that, that you have, in fact, embraced the first. Look with me in verse uh, 32. Again, the scribe says to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that uh, he is one. And so the scribe goes in and, and, and affirms everything that Jesus is saying. He Remember, he understands and he knows what Scripture says, and he's affirming everything that Jesus uh, says back to him. So the scribe sees that the love uh, of Jesus is speaking of is far more important than any religious activity. At the end, he says, um, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. This is another one that we have trouble with. This is why knowing scripture is valuable because the scribe understands where Jesus is coming from because he knows his Bible. And as he's hearing the response from Jesus, he probably has a few scriptures in mind, such as 1 Samuel 15, where it says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Or, or maybe he's thinking about Psalm 40 and 6. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted but you have given me an open ear, burnt offerings and sin offering you have not required. Or perhaps Hosea 6 and 6. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Well, the text is saying that you can do all these so-called Christian things you can come and fill your place in the pew. You can give to um, the, the best and greatest charities. You can act as if you are loving your neighbor while inside uh, hating or despise them. But mere religious observance is worthless. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you that being here today because you just came and sat in your place will not get you into heaven. cold hard facts because you uh, come every Sunday or are here repetitively uh, does not guarantee or give you the right to, to, to go and spend forever eternity with our Savior that's not what scripture tells us and he's making this very clear you can volunteer your time all to the right uh, organizations 
But the text says you can do all the burnt offerings and sacrifices you want, and doing all these things without love is worth a hill of beans. In other words, it won't get you closer to God. In order to understand how to love your neighbor, I would encourage you when you leave here today to read through Leviticus um, 19, you read verses 10 through 18 of Leviticus 19. What, what we see in the book of Leviticus, it, it instructs us how to do this, how to love our neighbor, what it looks like, how to, to evaluate. So if I, if I say, if I claim to be Christ, Christ follower, if I claim to love God, then how do I, I see and know that I'm uh, 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 exhibiting the love for my neighbor just as I am the love for Christ? Leviticus helps us to see that in chapter 19. It tells us to care for the poor. It tells us not to steal. It, it calls us not to lie. It, it tells us to be fair in business dealings. It, cares, it tells us to care for the deaf to care for the blind, deal justly with others and take no part in partiality. That's a tough one. It tells us to avoid slander. It tells us to protect our neighbor. It says, do not hate your neighbor. Do not take revenge or hold grudges. How do I know if I'm loving my neighbor? This is just a few things that lays laid out in scripture. And, and the scripture is very prescriptive when it comes to what it means for us to love our neighbor. Look with me in verse 34. Jesus saw that he answered wisely and said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So Jesus, after hearing the response from the scribe, Jesus affirms that he understands God and his true purpose in the law. And it's this understanding that brought him near to the Messiah and brought him close to salvation, or as the text says, not far from the kingdom of God. You see, the scribe, he, he sees that entering the kingdom is not about trying harder and mustering up as much as he could, picking himself up by his own bootstraps. It is about the position of the heart. Simply obeying the rules and regulations will never get you into the kingdom because it will never measure up. It will never measure up to God's standard. When I was a kid, I had a, a basketball goal in the back of my house. I was okay at basketball. This tells you how okay I was because I, the more, the one I wanted more than anything was to be able to dunk. I would get just get right there, but wasn't able to do it. But I mean, that's what everybody was doing. I mean, this was the time of Michael Jordan and everything and, 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 and the dunk contests and all that kind of stuff, but I just couldn't do it. So what I did, it was adjustable. So I lowered the rim a lot. Then I was dunking all over the place. Oh, yeah. You could, I couldn't be stopped at that point. But 
I had to lower it in order to get to accomplish that goal. It was never going to be good enough. There was no way I was going to be in a real game of basketball and go play a pickup game and three on three or whatever it was out in the park. There was no way I was going to be able to live up to that standard because I had to lower it for myself to be able to do it. As we think about what it means to follow God, if you, we have these laws and these, these, the things that are written in his scripture, we got to realize that we will not measure up to God's perfect law. What he uh, wants from us, what he needs to us, we would never be perfectly righteous. And so we try to lower those standards, but that, that doesn't work out. That's not going to get you on the NBA team. That's not going to get you into the kingdom of heaven. But grace be to God that he sent someone that does satisfy that for us. It's as if I was on the, the basketball court, had the regulation rim, and I jumped as, as hard as I could, and then I just started floating because someone's carrying me to enable me to to get the ball and the goal. That's what Jesus has done for us. Jesus gave his life on our behalf to pay the penalty for us because we, we simply don't measure up. As much as we want to, as much as we want to try, as hard as we want to go, it's just simply not enough. But grace be to God, because of the blood of Jesus, right now, if you're a follower of Christ, when God looks at you, he doesn't see how dirty you are. He doesn't see how you have transgressed. He doesn't see how you've fallen. What he sees is the blood of Christ. What he sees is the righteousness of Christ, if you follow him. What we need is a heart transplant. Ezekiel 36 and 26 says this well. It says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you and I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Brothers and sisters, what you need is the grace and mercy of God to make you a new creation in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. This is one of my favorite verses. And we also must draw near to Jesus. Mark 1 and 15, if you remember when we were there, says this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And this is what I urge for you today. This is the action that I want to, to leave here with today. Repent and believe in the gospel. As we close out, here are some questions for you to consider. Is the Lord the all-consuming passion in your life? Do you have deep, intense, and abiding affection for the Lord? When, when, when you're thinking about things throughout your day, where, where do your thoughts settle on? 
Is it the things of God or something else? Is your love of God exclusive or primary? Are you quick to defend with love and grace the name and honor of your Lord? Do you enjoy spending time with the Lord? Do you do things that please the Lord and increase his joy? Do you brag on the Lord to others? Do you talk to the Lord as much as you can? As you consider the answers to these questions, please understand these are not things that will get God to love you more. They are things that you will do because you love him and because you're loved by him. So what is the meaning of the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment? It's to love God is to love others, and to love others is to love God. These are the two greatest commandments. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this time that we've had here today to understand where we are in our own lives. Help us to be introspective here and to evaluate how it is that we live uh, from moment to moment, day to day. Show us how we might be able to live our lives because of your love for us and in turn, our love for you. Help us to exemplify that love through the loving of our neighbors. Help us uh, propel us out to, to, to outdo one another in love not only as your people here, but Father, as your church here, for, for those here at First Baptist Bolingbrook, help us to be known as people who just love, love our neighbors. Not so that we will get anything in return, but because you first loved us. Father, we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.